So coming up to this point now, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has seen the God of Daniel and the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego show himself strong. And so much so that Nebuchadnezzar had acknowledged him and acknowledged the God of Daniel and acknowledged the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And, um, and noticing un- undoubtedly that, that, that he is able to deliver, he is the God of gods, he is the, uh, the, the King of Lords or the Lord of Kings, I forget the exact wording. But he acknowledged him in the previous chapters to this. And he had also learnt that Daniel was a man of God, and because Nebuchadnezzar believed in many gods, he he would say that Daniel was a man that had the spirit of the gods, and um, recognized that there was something about Daniel, there was something different about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that stood out to all the other wise men that uh, he had, um, I guess, in his council. But he knew something about Daniel. He knew Daniel was an interpreter of dreams. He knew that uh, from you know, past experience where Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know the interpretation of a dream and didn't even tell him what the dream was. And he told all his interpreters or whoever they were, the soothsayers, that if you don't tell me, then you're going to die. And they didn't know. And, and surely the death sentence was put upon them and and then Daniel asked for time, and the king gave him time, and, and the God of heaven revealed the secret, revealed the dream, revealed the interpretation, and Daniel praised uh, God, and then went and spoke and gave the interpretation to the king. And so I'm simply establishing the fact that Nebuchadnezzar has already encountered um, the true and living God. And in chapter 4 now, he's received another dream. He's had another dream. And uh, and this dream, he was, uh, the Bible says in chapter 4 and verse 1, uh, verse 5, excuse me, he says, I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions upon my head troubled me. And so here, here we go again, he's, he's been troubled by this, and he went in to seek the interpretation of the dream, they couldn't give it, and he remembered Daniel. And uh, he says, uh, you know, but Daniel, verse 8, at the last Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, uh, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him I told the dream, uh, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee. Tell me the visions of my dreams, and I have seen, and the that I have seen an interpretation thereof. And so, no secret trouble with these, referring to uh, the dream. He's, re- he's referring to this hidden thing, and he says, "There's not a not a dream from past experience." Nebuchadnezzar saying, "Nothing. This this doesn't trouble you." And so he goes on to let him know the dream that he had, and then look with me at verse 19. And Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar was astonished for one hour and his thoughts troubled him. <laughs> astonished for one hour. Think about one hour going by and here Nebuchadnezzar is trying to find hope in this man Daniel and he's just 
even Daniel's thoughts to trouble him. And so Nebuchadnezzar, you know, went to, trouble, uh, went to comfort Daniel and saying, don't let the dream trouble you, Daniel. <laughs> and, uh, and Nebuchadnezzar was a man that was very quick to snap and very insecure and in some, some ways unstable. Anyway, Daniel gives him the interpretation of the dream and he warns him. It was a warning. And it was a warning that, in essence, that Nebuchadnezzar was going to be made low uh, because he uh, was not going to give the God of heaven the glory. And he said in verse 25, uh, I'm just going to skip down. This is where we understand where Nebuchadnezzar was made to eat grass. He's telling him this is what's going to happen. They shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall... Make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee. Uh, some say this means seven years. Some have other thoughts about it. But notice this now. Till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. So this is going to happen to you, Nebuchadnezzar. Until you learn this lesson. And so now we come to verse uh, 29. And uh, notice now verse 29. At the end of 12 months. One year later. Whether Nebuchadnezzar forgot the dream or not. I have no idea. But one year later. He says verse 30. Uh, verse 29, excuse me, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? And then verse 31, while the word was in the while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, and it goes on so forth. And this is the dream coming to pass. While he was sitting there and boasting in all of this, while he was speaking, he was interrupted by this voice from heaven. And he says exactly what the dream that um, was given. Verse 32, And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, and again, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And then Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful king on earth in that time, was made to be like an animal. And, and it's very descriptive, verse 33 um, and it was very vivid. You imagine this taking place for exactly however long it would have taken place. And then he realized at the end of those days, however many days they were and however long it was, uh, that his understanding came back to him and he acknowledged the God of heaven. But the verse I want to jump down to, he praises the God of heaven in verse 34 and in verse 35. And then he was restored to his position in verse 36. And verse 37, notice this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, 
all whose works are truth and his ways judgment. And notice this phrase here. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. <coughs> and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. The word praise here means to adore, it's to be in admiration of. It has this idea of praising excessively, to commend loudly. It's, 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 it's giving absolute adoration and recognition. This is the idea behind the praise. It wasn't just praise you, Lord. It was, it was, it was acknowledging this God of heaven. He learnt the lesson. Goes on to praise and extol. To extol means to lift up. To lift up. Now Nebuchadnezzar was lifting up the God of heaven, the King of heaven. And he also says there, uh, not only praise and extol and honor. To honor means to magnify. To magnify has the idea of glorify, has this idea of swelling up. And so you think of a magnifying glass. It magnifies whatever you're looking at. And, and this is the idea behind honor. He is magnifying now who? The King of Heaven. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar learned. He learned that God is King, not me. God is King, not me. That he may be appointed a king on earth, but he is the king of heaven and earth. God is king. He learned the lesson that that warning was given him to take heed to. And by the way, if you go back and look at it, Daniel warned him to, in essence, do righteousness and, 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 and take care of the poor, minister to the poor. So, so his, his focus didn't end up on him being puffed up. And coming under the consequence of it. But Nebuchadnezzar, 12 months later, almost like he forgot what he heard, suffered the consequence of the warning of the dream. His praise continues. He says, All whose works are truth. And the idea behind all whose works are truth is this idea of all his works are faithful. God is faithful in all he does. That his acts are balanced. They're evenly weighed. He's a just God. All his works are truth. And his ways, judgment. And this, I believe, is referring to the paths of God are with sentences. In other words, that God is a God that does administer consequences. His ways are judgment. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he learned to praise the Lord. He learned to praise the Lord, to extol the Lord, to honor the Lord, to magnify God and acknowledge Him for who He is and realize who He was and learned the lesson and understood that this God, the King of Heaven, Again, that phrase is what arrested me. He says, those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Those that walk in pride, the, pride excuse me, those that exalt themselves, those that lift themselves up. It has the idea of arrogance. And, and the idea behind arrogance is, uh, to use a definition I, I found in a dictionary, 
It's an exaggerated sense of one's own importance and ability. An arrogant person thinks they're all that. An arrogant person thinks if it wasn't for them, then nothing would ever happen kind of thing. That's arrogance. A lot of these words that we read here are used exclusively even in the book of Daniel. But it's interesting how he realized that this king of heaven was able to abase. The idea of able is that he actually can. That God it has, carries the idea of prevail. That he will prove more powerful and superior. God is able to abase, to bring low, to humble, to put down, to subdue. It has the idea of, again, to quieten, to quieten. To overcome and bring under control. This is the idea behind a base. And he learned that this king of heaven can do that. And here is the testimony of a man. In essence, what he's saying is, trust me, I learned the hard way. And he is a God that the Bible says, all those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. He will bring them luck, which is exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And so the simple thought I want to bring to our attention to, to think on and, and to meditate on, and perhaps um, even not only tonight, but throughout the week, this thing that the Bible refers to as humility. Humility. This thing of being made low. There's a lot of definitions of humility. There's a lot of phrases we can probably use. I'm going to share two and a few others as well. But humility is what brought Nebuchadnezzar to a place to learn that I am nothing and God is everything. This that Nebuchadnezzar was boasting in that he built up and that in his might and in for his and his majesty and so forth. He realized after learning the hard way that it wasn't me. Because this king of heaven is the one that placed me as king. And he is able to put me down, as we read in his testimony, as we read in the account of scriptures, exactly what happened to him. He was put down and he realized that, yes, God is the one that puts people in position. God is the one that takes people out of position. I am Nothing. That's what humility is. Humility is realizing I am nothing. And this is the lesson that even Jesus tries to teach his disciples. That without me, ye can do nothing. Even when we do that which was ours to do anyway, at the end of the day, we conclude to say we are still altogether but unprofitable servants. It's not I, but Christ. This is what humility is. I am nothing. Now this isn't a, oh, I'm nothing, I'm rubbish, I'm this, I'm that, a condescending, and I'm bringing myself low, when really that's actually a form of uh, pride, by the way, because you're making it about you again. Oh, poor me, and this, and on this, and my sin, and rah, 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 rah. That's not what humility is. That's a false humility. That's not what humility is. 
I like what uh, Andrew Murray said in his definition of humility. He says, humility is the disappearance of self in the vision and understanding that God is all. Humility is the disappearance of self in the vision and understanding that God is all. And that's what underlies the statement, I am nothing. Why? Because He is everything. That's true humility. That's true humility. And as we see in Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, humility is what was required for Nebuchadnezzar to be able to praise and acknowledge God the way he did. It wasn't until he was humbled where he praised God like he never praised God before. Even commentators are divided, arguing or saying this was the salvation of Nebuchadnezzar. What praise came from this king's mouth once he learnt humility, once he was humbled. And so let me say this, brothers and sisters, humility is something that is on our part to embrace. It is actually something on our part to manifest. It is something on our part to be active in or growing in. You see, none of us can ever come to a place of saying, okay, I've reached humility now. Although you and I can sincerely testify that God is humbling me or God has humbled me in this way or through these things. But humility nonetheless is something that God must work and God will work and what God has commanded for every one of His children. And that's a scary thing. Because if you and I are honest, we will not disagree with I am nothing. And God is everything. But when God wants to practically work that conviction in our hearts with absolute understanding, and He starts to do that, that's when we start to get scared of humility. And that's where we start to get scared of being humbled. And that's where we start to back off and lose focus on this thing of humility. Why? Because it hurts. It hurts sometimes. Not every time but it hurts sometimes. For Moses, it took 40 years in the wilderness because he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was a man able to do many things and when he went forth to do those things in those ability, he made an absolute mess. And so for Moses, it took 40 years in the wilderness for him to be humbled. For Miriam, it took being smitten with leprosy for her to be humbled. For Jacob, it took wrestling with God and his hip being popped out of joint, leaning upon a star for the rest of his days, for him to become a new man, for him to be humbled. For Hannah, it took a barren womb for a season that absolutely humbled her. For David, God even allowed his sin to humble him. And it was David was the one that said it was a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart thou wilt not despise. 
Even in his sin, God used it to humble him. Josiah didn't take sin for Josiah. He took the scriptures. Josiah heard the word of God and he rent his clothes. And he, 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 brought, the, he brought the nation to repentance. And talk about a revival taking place where the word of God was magnified back again in the land and idols were being torn down. What did it take for Josiah to be humbled? It was the scriptures. For Isaiah, it was seeing the glory of God in a heavenly vision. And he was absolutely undone. He, the prophet of God, saying, I am an unclean thing, absolutely undone, being humbled by a heavenly vision. For John the Baptist, I believe what a place of humility for John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus. He says, well, I have need to be baptized of you. No, no, no. It becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. It's a humbling thing to do something that you thought, no, I'm not worthy to do, but God says, no, this is what you must do. And so that's what humbled John the Baptist. For Peter, he was tried by the devil and ended up denying the Lord. And he went out and wept bitterly. That's what it took for Peter to be humbled. And we're going to look at a very powerful statement that Peter makes in his epistle, having learned this lesson. For Paul the Apostle, it took a thorn in the flesh. He says, lest I be lifted up. A thorn in the flesh was given to me. Why? That he would learn when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because the grace of God is sufficient for me. He learned it's not I, but Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, I'm just simply bringing to your attention different examples with different circumstances that came their way that brought humility or brought them to a place of being humbled in their lives. And some were more dramatic than others. Some were more hurtful than others. Some were more regrettable than others. But don't mistake it. God is dead serious about working humility in the life of His children. Brokenness and contriteness. And He knows what that's going to take for every one of us. Coming back to Nebuchadnezzar, look what it took for him. The most powerful man on earth in that time was made low was made low. And that's what was needed for a man like that. You know, God knows what we need to be humbled. He will never allow us to be tempted above that we are able. He will never allow us to go through something we cannot handle. But trust me, brethren, whatever it takes to bring us to a place of humility, God will do it. God will do it. God will permit it. God will allow it. Why? He wants to work brokenness and humility and contriteness in us. I thought I found an interesting definition of what that looked like in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Turn in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5 goes into the account of Belshazzar. Belshazzar absolutely 
rebelled against God, defied the Lord and did not humble his heart. And in verse 22, he says, though thou knewest all this, referring to the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar, his father. He's saying, Belshazzar, you knew what your dad went through. You knew how your father was humbled. You know the praise he gave the king of heaven. You knew who was number one. And he says, you knowing all this, hast not humbled thine heart. And so this was Belshazzar and and something took place in his. I'm not going to touch on that for the sake of time. But I want us to zoom in on a detail referring to Nebuchadnezzar as well. That Daniel was relaying to Belshazzar in verse 20. He says, but when his heart was lifted up, referring to Nebuchadnezzar, and his mind hardened in pride, we read of his boastings. In the beginning there, or in the midway there of, of Daniel chapter, chapter 4. But now notice these two things here. And I believe these are two descriptions of being humbled. He says, he was deposed from his kingly throne. Number one. And secondly, and they took his glory from him. He was deposed from his kingly throne. And they took his glory from him. He was deposed. The idea is that he was descended from his kingly throne. He was carried down from his kingly throne. He was removed off his throne. He was removed from his place. He was removed from ruling as king. He was deposed from his kingly throne. He was put down. That, I believe, One definition here and testimony in the life of Nebuchadnezzar of what it took for him to be humbled, being removed off his throne, being deposed from his kingly throne, removed from ruling. And I just want to make application immediately in this. Brothers and sisters, ask yourself this. Who is on the throne in your life? Are you on the throne? Who is the king of your life? Who is ruling in your life? Who is governing all your pursuits? Because when you rule, that makes you think that you can do whatever you want. And it brings you to a place to think that you can do whatever you want. Causing you to boast in all that is done. Who is on the throne in your life? Because you know one thing, just to use this word for the sake of an illustration and understanding, you know one way of looking at how God humbles us? He removes us off the throne so that we could see He is on the throne. And as Charlie's often said, He's not getting off for anyone. And the sooner we remove ourselves off our throne and let God be King of the throne, king on the throne, then brothers and sisters, that spares God from being very active in humbling you like he humbled Nebuchadnezzar and like he has actively humbled others of his servants. You know, it is on us to respond. God doesn't necessarily have to be active in this extent to bring us low. All we must simply do is respond and recognize he is king And I am not. He is on the throne and I am not. My life is not my own. It belongs to Him now. I'm bought with a price. And it is 
His. I have yielded my life a living sacrifice. Mm. And all I want is the will of God. And all I want is God's way. Who is on the throne? Are you still on the throne? Nebuchadnezzar was deposed from his kingly throne. And number two, they took his glory from him. They took, they caused his glory to depart. And this, I believe, was referring to what he boasted in, in chapter 4, referring to his kingdom and all his achievements. The thing he had that he allowed or believed that he had the right to glory or boast over, that very thing was taken from him. They took his glory from him. The very thing that gave him strength and confidence and arrogance so much so to give himself the glory, to take the praise and recognition of his efforts, of his ability, of his doing, of his achievements. He says that was taken away from him. And I believe that's another illustration or picture we can put in our minds of what it looks like to be humbled. The very thing that you find strength in to hold you up that very thing may be taken from you to realize I am nothing. I am nothing. All that I have achieved counts for nothing like Paul the Apostle says. All that in essence I have done, I count it done. You know why? Because he had a vision and an understanding of who Christ is. And so he wanted Christ to be all, leaving him to be nothing. That very thing that we pride ourselves in, be very careful of who you give the glory to, brothers and sisters. Be very careful not to give a false praise to God. Oh, praise you, Lord. And you're achieving things in your own effort and you're going about doing your own will and you're going about achieving your own, uh, pursuing your own pursuits and building your own kingdom as it were and establishing your own things, whatever it is. And you say, oh, praise God, God is blessing. Praise God, God is blessing. Be very careful to say, praise God, God is blessing when you're doing it in and of yourself because you know what God's going to do with that very thing? He's going to strip it out from under you to help you realize and come to a place where you confess like Nebuchadnezzar did. All those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Brothers and sisters, and he will. <coughs> there are many testimonies I think of. One being John Curry's testimony. And that's marked me. And, uh, and, and I never forgot it because he, I've never, I've never met someone testify so openly and so honestly and being, I believe, genuinely humbled by the Lord at that point in time in his life. He was pursuing his own efforts, building his own empire, making millions, I believe, I understand, maybe less, I don't know. But it, it, he's up there making a lot of money, uh, had a Ferrari and so forth. And guess what he did? He was, he was one of the biggest supporters, supporting many missionaries and, 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 and giving. He was a big giver. He, he loved to give, but he loved making money. And you know what he did? He gave God the glory. But you know what he confessed? It wasn't God. It wasn't God. And the only time he came to that place to be able to confess it wasn't God, 
It wasn't until God took His glory from him. And he realized, I am nothing without God. I am nothing without God. God is the one that puts you in a position and God is the one that sets you down. He can put someone else there just like that. I am nothing. They took His glory from Him. And the reason why I believe this is why salvation is by grace through faith and that not of yourself it is the gift of God, not of works. You know why? Lest any man should boast. And you get some people say, no way I'll boast in it. Yes, you will. God knows us. And He gave us no room for boasting. That's why salvation is by grace through faith alone. If you're trying to get it by your own righteousness, if you're still going about to establish your own righteousness, my friend, you must come to the place to realize your righteousness count for nothing but a filthy rag in the sight of God because they are polluted with sin-stained hands. And salvation is only by grace through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift. That's why it's sanctification by faith through the Scriptures and the Spirit of God. We cannot make ourselves holy. We can make ourselves self-righteous, but we cannot make ourselves holy. We can simply submit ourselves to the Scriptures and to the working of the Spirit of God in our life. Knowing it's not us that's doing that work. How many times have you tried to tell people when they look at your testimony and how you've changed and you're living a way that you never used to live and you speak a way that you never used to speak and you just don't do those things that you used to do anymore. And they say, man, good on you. But it wasn't me. Trust me, it wasn't me. And that's what God wants to work in your heart. A genuine understanding. It is God that has been working in me both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It is God that has saved me. And if any man be in Christ is a new creature, trust me, it wasn't me. And that's why even service is by faith, that God's grace by His Spirit will, be, will enable us to do the things of God as we crucify the flesh daily and take up our cross and follow Him. And so, brothers and sisters, Nebuchadnezzar was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. He was humbled. What is it that you're finding strength in? What is it that you think, you know what, I did good for myself? What is it that you're pursuing after and you're thinking, mate, I'm making some progress here? Be very careful. Because that very thing that you are doing, that you are doing, will be taken from you, that you will realize and understand that all those that walk in pride, He is able to abase. And that statement that I was talking about in conclusion, and I don't want to spend much time there just for the sake of time, and I'll probably speak more than turn to Scripture, but First Peter chapter 5, I would like us to turn there. Coming back now to the statement of Peter, the one that had... Uh, that Jesus warned that was going to be that it was that the devil had desired to have him that he may sift him as wheat, and he was sifted. And Peter wasn't sober in the Lord's admonition and warning, and realized when it was too late. He realized after, and I believe there was no doubt, much regret and much humility. 
that had come upon Peter, this man that said, I'll never leave you, I'll die with you, I'll go with you to the end in essence. And yet denied the Lord three times. And now listen to the words of Peter. In chapter 5 and from verse 5, he says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. That's a command by the way. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. That He may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon Him for He careth for you. Dress yourself with humility is what he's saying. Like Charlie says, let the tag on your shirt read humility. God is wanting us to be active. This is an active thing to be clothed with humility. That what would be our appearance as it were is a man or a woman that is Humble, and not to say we walk around showing that I'm a humble person, but that it is, it is seen just like your clothes are seen. Be clothed with humility. Be arrayed with humility. Be covered with humility. Dress yourself with humility. Straight after talking about submitting yourselves one to another. And bring yourself under the mighty hand of God. Because you know what Jesus says? Jesus said, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And he says, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he, and, uh, excuse me, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. This is why I say God does not have to intervene to humble us. He is actively working already by his spirit. Working in us to yield to His Word and say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That we would adopt the conviction and attitude of the, of, of the heart of John the Baptist of, of He must increase and I must decrease. This is a work of God in our heart. He doesn't have to intervene like we see in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. That's why He commands us to humble ourselves. Make ourselves low. In other words, submit ourselves or bring ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's saying, God, you're king of my life. I'm not king of my life. You are my glory. I have no glory without you. I have no glory without you. Even in Colossians, Paul puts it this way. He says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man ever quarrel against you, even as Christ forgave you, also, forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Humbleness of mind, humiliation of mind. You know what a humble mind causes you to do? A humble mind causes you to put yourself low and not be offended at everything. A humble mind causes you to put yourself low that allows you to love your brother and sister 
without holding grudges and, 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 and offenses against each other. I love the way that God has designed rebuke and reproof and correction, especially when it comes from a brother or sister or from the preaching or some other direct way of, 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 of someone like that coming to us. Because you know what that is? That is an opportunity to humble ourselves. But what is often the reaction when that happens? Who does he think he is? Yeah. What do you mean? And then you may, if you're not careful, start come out. Well, brother, since you, you know, we're on the subject, I've got something to share with you too. You know why? Because brothers and sisters, we are not clothed with humility. We are not humble, and we don't want to be humbled. Because you know what being humbled means? I have to admit I'm wrong. You know what being humbled means? That's true. I need to get right. Being humbled means I'm nothing. Being humbled understands and recognizes, yes, I'm susceptible to these things. It's not saying you can't have confidence in the Lord that you're walking with Him and knowing you have sweet fellowship and unbroken fellowship with Him. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is God has designed humility, I believe, even to be such an integral part of unity in the body. Else we can't submit ourselves one to another. Else we can't love one another because we're not humble. We're not humble. Look at the attitude of Mary. Behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Couldn't believe that God would choose, chose her to bear the, the Son of God in a womb. John the Baptist, again, he must increase, but I must decrease. Even our example, the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe our greatest example, saying concerning himself that I am meek and lowly in heart. And you see it. He was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. And being led to his slaughter, he said not a word. Not a word. He didn't resist. He didn't buck. Even when Peter tried to defend him, he says, Don't you think I can ask the Father now and you'll send 12 legions of angels? Look at the mind that we are exhorted in Philippians chapter 2 to have in us this mind of humility. He says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus was looking on the things of others. He's, he, he came not for himself, but for others. And we see his statements constantly. I came not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. I came not to be ministered to, but to minister. I speak nothing of myself, but those things that the Father has revealed. I do nothing of myself, but that I've seen the Father do. Humbleness we see in our Saviour. Making himself, he says, of no reputation. We don't like that. We want to have reputation. We want to have some sort of reputation. Come on, something to say about ourselves. Something for others to say about us. But he made himself of no reputation. Took upon himself the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. 
The father didn't have to twist the arm of his son. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And we know what happens after that in terms of his name being exalted and one day every knee bowing to that name. And so we see by Christ's example, prefer others more than yourself. That's what humility looks like. That's what a humble person looks like, that they care for others more than themselves. They care for the well-being of others more than the well-being of themselves. They care for the increase of others more than their own increase. Making yourself of no reputation, that's what Jesus did. Being a servant, not a chief. Not being served, but being a servant. And being obedient even unto death. All the way to the end. Not changing. And there's much more, but I'll stop there. No holiness without humility, brothers and sisters. No honor without humility. No harmony or unity in the body without humility. No grace from God without humility. And no nearness to God without humility found in our life. God help us to learn and with all sincerity say, like with Paul the Apostle, it was not I, but the grace of God that, it, that was with me. Not I, but Christ. Not us. That's what humility looks like. Humility is the disappearance of self in the vision and understanding that God is all. And I want to I challenge you. And uh, I, I was listening to an audio book that gave the same challenge and I've, I'll confess I was scared. But I want to encourage you with the same challenge. That you would ask of God, Lord, I know what you're doing in my life. And the best I know how, Lord, I, I, as far as I understand, if you sincerely believe that, Lord, I've, I've been doing what you want me to do. But God... If there is a serious work of humbling you want to do in my life, and I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't. I don't know what that's going to take. I'm scared to think about it. I've always been scared to think about it. But I've never been scared of God. I've never been scared of the fact that it is God that's going to be ministering it. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you with soberness, with absolute soberness and with sincerity before God, asking Him, Lord, work this thing of humility in my life. Help me to understand what it means to be clothed with humility. And God knows what it's going to take for every one of us. I think every one of us can give some sort of testimony here, even of things God has done and is doing. And almost can foresee what he is about to do. And brothers and sisters, but let me encourage you. This is a work that is, God is dead set serious in working in every one of us. As a matter of fact, commanding us to be clothed with humility. To humble ourselves under the hand of God. Lest he step in and humble us. Amen. Amen. Amen.